wow, okay, <laughs> whistles. Well, good morning, and uh, for those of you on the radio, welcome to Telios Christian Fellowship this morning. My name is John Packer. Um, one of the things that uh, Pastor Jim shared, and um, as he introduces, that I'm a sergeant on the campus at, at Humboldt State. And um, and a lot of people, he, he introduced me as a sergeant, but basically on campus, everybody calls me Officer Packer. I'm not sure why that is, but it's just Officer Packer. Um, but I also get a chance to instruct down at the police academy. And there, there is a link to the, what I'm going to share today and, and the police academy, and I, I promise you I'll get there. Um, one of the things uh, that's interesting about law enforcement is that um, there, there's a posture that you have as an officer when you're on duty, when you're talking with someone, when you're confronting someone. And whether that confrontation is, is a, uh, an enforcement or just a contact with someone, because we do chat with people. We don't just go up and arrest them all the time. But there's a posture. <laughs> there's a posture that's associated with it as well. And when I talk to cadets at the police academy, we, we include a couple things in, in that posture. We ask them to consider the tone that they have. Uh, in other words, when you talk with someone, there's a tone. There's an unspoken that's conveyed to that person when you speak with them. We ask them to consider their pitch, how high their voice is, how low their voice is. We ask them to consider the pace at which they speak. The more rapid you speak, as long as people understand you, typically you're perceived as being more creditable. Uh, the, the slower you speak, if you put ums and uhs in there, then people don't perceive you as creditable. So the pace is important. And then the final component of our, our posture, our vocal posture, uh, is our modulation. Whether we are monotone or whether we have some voice and fluctuation in our, in our, um, in our conversation with people. And so verbal posture as well as your, your personal posture is important. And as I was praying about what to share today, uh, a couple things came to mind. That popped into my head because cop stuff pops into my head all the time. Um, but I was also looking at, if we could put that passage up real quick, um, the 42 verses 7 and 8. Um, what came to mind as I was praying is a passage from Psalms 42 verses 7 and 8. And it simply reads, Deep calls into deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. And as God began to work in my heart about what to share, and I didn't know how posture was going to be combined with that verse, um, it, it, I really began to look into to verse 42. And verse, excuse me, into Psalms 42. And Psalms 42, for me, as, as I read it, really talked about the posture of prayer of David as he prays to God in, in this um, Psalms 42. And it does an interesting thing here. It, it, takes, um, it takes sense in terms of our senses, and it takes a conversation with faith, and it goes back and forth between the two in that conversation. So, in essence... Uh, verses, for example, 1 and 2, um, can, faith conveys um, what the posture should be, what David's posture is um, before Christ. Uh, verses 3 and 4, his senses respond and complain. Uh, verses 5, faith responds back. 6 and 7, 
the senses kind of complain again. And then verses 8, faith responds with an answer to that complaint. 9 and 10, the senses complain again. And then finally in in verse 11, the um, faith wins out with with its answer to the complaint. And so I want to look at it, if you will, if you'll go with me on this um, uh, on these these eleven verses, as I just look at that from uh, from a perspective of prayer posture, in terms of what our senses tell us to do, versus what faith requires of us, and answers to that complaint of of the senses. So let's pray. Father, thank you this morning as we do stop and 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 take time to both worship you and listen to your word. Lord, and each of us has um, the uh, the Holy Spirit that will speak to us in a different way, in a different shape and form. And but Lord, that it's the same Holy Spirit, the same God, same Christ risen, Lord, that we proclaim and, and that we love. And thank you for this morning as we we look into your Word in Christ's name, Amen. So David has, and it's not a dual conversation by any stretch of the imagination. It's as I was reading uh, these these eleven verses. Um, this is what God placed on my heart, and this is the perspective that I, I, I examined it, it, it in. And, and basically that perspective is there's, there's a complaint um, that the senses have. And, and we all have senses. We, we hear, we see, we touch, we smell. Um, and if you can agree with me, as we look at our society today, a lot of the responses that we see amongst both of our peers, uh, whether it's in the media or those that are around us, are a reaction to our senses. I feel a certain way, therefore I deserve. Um, I see your touch, uh, I smell, I've experienced, and therefore I, I respond. And, and David's prayer uh, touches on, on these types of things. Senses objecting to the circumstance that he finds himself in or that he's praying about, and then faith answering with an understanding of why God would allow something uh, what God is doing or isn't doing in this particular circumstance that he's uh, that senses are complaining about, or how God rules and God rules in a, in a sovereign manner. Um, the senses just defined as touch, taste, feel, hear, and smell. But faith, faith being defined, I think we have the passage up here from from Hebrews: the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I can see you up there. Right, perfect. And faith, when its results are seen, really become a confidence in, uh, in our case, the testimony of Christ. Um, we, we tend to look at that testimony and then the confidence we have when we say that uh, we are firmly established or steadfast in that faith, and, um, but it results in a confidence. Uh, so let's look at the, the first two verses in Psalms 42, verses 1 and 2. And it reads... As the deer pants for the water, water brook, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when I shall come and appear before God. And so the prayer, the psalm starts out with just kind of a holy love that longs for the presence of God, longs for being in his presence, whether that's in prayer, um, for David that might have been in a tent in front of the ark, in the presence of the ark, uh, and those types of things. But it suggests and actually says and uses the analogy of a deer panting um, for for water. And um, Betty, I don't have any pictures. Uh, <laughs> Betty asked, my wife's name is Betty. Betty asked, hey, you know, 
put some pictures up and things like that. And uh, I giggled all the way through as I was preparing for this because everything I hunt. And so everything that came to mind was like a dead animal. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that to you. Because <laughs> I got pictures of deer, but not the show in church. Um, <laughs> but a deer panting, and, and a lot of times we think about the deer running and panting for, um, for, for water, and, and that's true, but uh, in reality, if, if you watch, if you observe nature, if you observe a deer in its natural habitat, it, it's, it's always looking for water. <clears throat> Uh, it's, it, it is. It, it's not. I mean, sometimes it's tired and it's looking for water, but most deer go to water. When I hunt, I look for a water source or a food source. And I knew that was going to come in there at some point in time. But, uh, but it's looking for nourishment. Okay? And so that prayer, that time with God, um, that presence of God that David's alluding to and, and speaking of, um, that faith requires it's just that nourishment that, that we have. And sometimes um, there is a fatigue that sets in um, that requires more nourishment. I can remember being a Boy Scout um, oh, now, but as a kid and um, being at different places uh, where we'd go backpacking. And, and you get into a situation where uh, your body's fatigued and you need nourishment. And, and you can put a lot of things in your body to help fuel yourself, but, but at the end of the day... Liquid water is what your body needs. And I can remember um, hiking into uh, a punch bowl up here in um, in the uh, Six Rivers National Forest and not having enough fluids as I was going in and uh, getting to the end of that hike. It's, it's, a, it's a short hike, but it's a, a, a huge elevation gain, <clears throat> uh, straight up a goat hill that we, we would call it, and sitting down and feeling my muscles start to cramp up and just knowing that I had to get fluids in my body and and that was the only thing um, that was going to resolve the need for the electrolytes and, and water in my body and so when we look at verses two or uh, one and two we just see david looking at um, his relationship with christ or with god and uh, and the prayer that he has and the need to be uh, replenished with that water that nourishment that he gets from just being in the presence of god um, and then we go on to verses 3 and 4. And senses come in. Those things that we have that, um, that sometimes direct our posture in prayer. And he, he writes, My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in, in procession in the house of God. With a voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, so it may be a little different from the ones that you have there. Um, but since complains in this, uh, these two passages of the attack he's having from his enemies. He is physically experiencing the fact that someone, David spent the majority of his life, somebody trying to kill him. Um, so he's complaining, or senses are complaining about the pursuit and the attack that he is experiencing. And he's responding to that. Um, I wrote down here that the pursuit and attack uh, of Satan, uh, the workload in a fallen society has led to a separation from David. In this particular case, as we read, what's happened with David 
is he is on the run. He's separated from those places, those assemblies, of those individuals that we would say the the we, he would say the synagogue, and we would say the church. Um, he would be separated from those who were um, his support structure. Um, so all those things that he associates with worshiping or or being in a safe place, uh, he is now separated from, and begins to bemoan that and complain about that uh, to to God. Um, there's a mindset that sets in uh, with him. And it's typical uh, for me, myself, and for, for others is that if when individuals attack us, uh, when society ridicules the believer, um, we tend to forget that because society, society detests Christ, that somehow uh, we would be um, absolved or removed from that. And, and we tend to forget that. Society ridicules the believer because it detests Christ. Um, and there's an undercurrent here for, for David that somehow because he's separated from that synagogue and separated from um, those things that are, are part of his worship, that somehow God is not present. That somehow the ridicule um, that we receive when um, you're made fun of uh, in your workplace, not directly but maybe indirectly, when... Um, we look at how society um, asks us to exclude uh, Christian values um, from our day-to-day lives, or maybe even from uh, some of the laws that we see coming out, uh, that somehow excluding that separates us uh, from God, not in terms of our salvation, but in terms of our, our access access to God. And David begins to lament this. Okay? Matter of fact, he makes the statement uh, in, the, in this verse. He says, my tears have been my food, day and night. Re- really, they have it. Okay? There's other food that's present. Now, may, he may look at it from the standpoint, or we may look at it from the standpoint that tears are all I have, the complaint, the sorrow, the, the missing of that fellowship, and, and rightly so, he is out of fellowship right now in terms of his proximity to, uh, to those that are in support of him. But really, at the end of the day, God is not absent from anything or any place we're at. Even if we're not in this physical building, God is not absent from us. Even if individuals are ridiculing us, God is not absent from us. We always, through prayer, we always have access to God, no matter what. So as verses 3 and 4 complain about that absence and complain about only having tears as food, we go on to verse 5, which answers that complaint. Verse 5 reads, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Faith answers that complaint with the recognition that, yes, David is not in the community at that particular time with other believers, Sometimes in our lives that's forced, sometimes that's out of neglect on our part. Um, But it submits to him that through hope, there's always an upward access to God. Um, Yes, we should definitely scrutinize where we are in our walk with the Lord. Uh, Do we have communion with other physical? We're going to actually have communion tonight, today. Um, Are we communicating? Are we in communion with other believers 
have, do we have that prayer group that we, we go to? Do we have that group of men or women that we, um, we get to spend time with? So we should always scrutinize those things. Um, but we shouldn't allow the absence of that, once we've scrutinized it, to translate into spiritual depression where we think that God and we don't have access to God because that's not the case. Um, we can get in, and I know that I've done this myself, we can get into what I would say or call as spiritual dis- depression or loss of, of physical vigor. Um, and, and that happens when we begin to look at our circumstance and we begin to think that um, I don't have, I can't pray, it's just so overwhelming. And, and I know uh, in law enforcement this happens, and I'm, I'm sure it happens in other professions, where the workload of the day just requires so much out of you that you feel that you don't have enough time to go to Christ in prayer because time is consumed. Or those conversations that you have internally because you're frustrated at a circumstance and instead of taking that prayer time, that time is consumed with a conversation that argues your point, uh, argues with your boss uh, or the person you're upset with. And so that consumes our time rather than going upward and, and speaking to Christ. Um, we have Proverbs uh, of 12.25 to put up. Um, Solomon writes in 12.25 about spiritual depression, about uh, loss of spiritual vigor, and he just writes, Anxiety and a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word from God makes it, makes it glad. Um, David will go on to pen in uh, Psalm 71, 1 through 4, I think, or 14. I, did I put up 14? Yeah, uh, I'm going to read, uh, I think, 12 through 14. I forgot to, to put up the entire verse, but it says, it reads this. O God, do not be far from me. O my God, hasten to my help. Let those who are adversaries of my soul be ashamed and consumed. Let them be covered with reproach, dishonor, and who seek to injure me. And this is the, the 14 that we have on the, on the, the screen now. But as for me, I will hope continually and I will praise, I will praise you yet more and more. David pins this in his old age. I'm not saying anything has to do with being old. Um, <laughs> but he pins this, um, further into his maturity as, as a believer. Amen. And it's a conclusion to this prayer that he has that just points out that, yes, things are going to happen in my life. There are going to be times when I feel separated from from my God. There's going to be times when people are seeking to injure me, either spiritually or emotionally or sometimes physically, um, or just to injure that value system, that Christian um, moral compass that I have. But as for me, I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. And so there's always that ability to have that upward conversation that upward posture um, with, with Christ so verses 2 and 3 or excuse me 3 and 4 look at the complaint of the absence of God and that lack of upward um, reaching uh, and verse 5 answers the question no or answers the complaint no actually there's always access upward upward to God and for Christ for us Verses 6 and 7 go back to senses. Sense responds. And says, 
Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember thee from the land of Jordan, the peaks of Hermon, from the Mount of Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of my waterfalls. All thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. So this was the verse that really turned me towards what to share uh, th- this this morning. Um, it, it's it's interesting because it's a complaint about despair that reminisces uh, a, a past history that David has with with God, as if that can't happen again. Um, there are places that he fled to. Uh, if we were to, if we were to look these up um, past the Jordan um, into other places where where David has fled, I, I thought about this. Um, this verse, especially um, verse 7, where it says, um, deep cries out the deep. Uh, we, we take a rafting trip, a 50-mile rafting trip, um, almost every summer uh, with our scout troop. And we take them uh, to a place called Yukonom Falls. And Yukonom Falls is a, a stream that comes in onto the Klamath. Uh, and it's a little short hike that goes in. And, and well, it, it's interesting because we put the boy, it's freezing cold. Uh, we put the boys in uh, life preservers um, because it's freezing cold and we hike them into Yukonon Falls and Yukonon Falls is probably uh, overall is probably about a 40 or 50 foot set of falls but about 20 feet up um, there's a little hog nose that comes out it splits the um, the waterfall in half and if the water flow is correct at that time of the year um, you can climb halfway up the side of the waterfall on the outside on the left side there's a, a ledge that goes behind the waterfall, which puts you right in the gap of where the water splits, <clears throat> and you jump into the waterfall. It flushes you down into the spillway and, and holds you down there until your life preserver pops you back up in the, in the spillway of, of the water. It, it's, it's a neat experience. It usually takes a half hour per boy to convince them to do that. <laughs> And then uh, once they do it, they do it over and over again until they turn blue. <laughs> <coughs> um, but, it's, but it's a neat experience. And we've had times when we've gone and, and we can't get a young man to do it, or, but there's been times when um, there's been too much water in there. But what comes to mind with this and the, this passage is that there are times in our walk where our senses, t- you're forced underneath that water, and I, I know every one of those boys thinks, Mr. Packer's going to kill me. <laughs> I'm going to die. He's doomed me to death. I'm never coming up from underneath this water as you're just forced down there. But we know as scoutmasters, yes, you are going to come up. Okay? You're going to come up before you run out of air. And, and we've not lost any boys at all. Okay? <laughs> um, David, as he prays, is in this this situation where he's looking at the the bitterness, he's looking at um, feeling overwhelmed, and it's a lot like that waterfall of the the current that's at at the bottom of Yukonom, where he just feels that he's never coming up. It's one thing after another. Um, If if you you haven't been to Yukonom Falls, you maybe at least have been in an ocean when you've had a set come over you and just keep you down and you're wondering if you're going to come back up. And, and that happens over and over again. So David's senses are telling him that this despair and this situation that he's in, is uh, this bitterness of despair, is it, just coming one after another. It's almost as if 
um, one portion of deep and despair is calling out to another one saying, he's over here, just land on his neck right right there and, and continue on and on and on. And it's overwhelming. It is absolutely overwhelming. Um, if you haven't been in that, that type of a situation, you're, you're very blessed. But I would garner to say that all of us have, to some degree or another, been in situations or had a circumstance or had that feeling that this is just never going to end. It's never going to, or it's too much for, for me. David prays this prayer and expresses that because his senses express that. Verse 8 responds. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to God, to the God of my life. Faith answers with an assurance that God commands his loving kindness. It's not haphazard. It has nothing to do. It's not dependent upon the pressure that the that David's feeling right now. The waves and billows are under divine check, even if David doesn't know that. Even when we get to a point in time where we think that that pressure is so great, it's just out of control, that's not true. Those waves, that pressure is under divine check. They definitely will run their courses allowed to, to achieve God's outcome. But there's a calm and a favor that will appear immediately upon, upon God's command. When it's time for that to end, God will end it and we'll experience his favor, we'll experience his, his calm. The prospect of this provides support during rough times. The, the understanding that, that those, those circumstances that were under, under divine check provides relief. Uh, if we look at Psalms 44, verses 4 through 5. David writes this in another Psalms. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob, though we will push back our adversaries through your name. We will trample down those who rise up against us. So once that situation is put in check, God commands, and that command may lead to a calm of deliverance. In this case, for David, uh, he's saying, through your name, God, we will trample down those who rise up against us. There's deliverance in it. There's also a place where there's blessings. Deliverance and blessings do come at God's command. Psalms 133, verses 1 through 3, reads, Behold, how good and how pleasant is it for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. So faith answers, even in spite of those billows, even in spite of, in spite of that weight that you're feeling, God is sovereign God's command brings apart, brings about both deliverance and blessings. And then finally, Psalms 119.62. David finishes out this psalm, particular psalm, and says, At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. It's an interesting prayer because what it doesn't say, it, it says because of your righteous ordinances. It doesn't distinguish 
that he's praying because of God's favor on him. You relieve me and I'm thanking you for your favor. David's simply playing, praying. They get up at midnight and I'm praying and I'm thankful because of your righteous ordinance. Whatever that ordinance is, it's righteous and I'm thankful for it. Sometimes it requires me to endure underneath that wave, but you're sovereign in that as well as sovereign in those good times when I'm not experiencing a need for air or a need for a stronger communion with you. But then here come verses 9 and 10. And senses come back and make a plea, a complaint. I say to you, my God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? So senses come back and complain that God has forgotten him. God has cast him off and that his uh, enemies oppress and revile. And he compares that to the shattering of, of a bone. And another picture we can't put up, a, a, a broken tib fib or a broken femur. <laughs> um, excruciatingly painful. So the analogy that, that David uses here that we read in this, this transla- translation is just an oppression that is, is, is bone-crushing. It hurts. I mean, it really hurts. It hurts him at his soul. It hurts him at his heart. Uh, it may physically manifest itself uh, in terms of, of how he feels at that particular time. Uh, but he complains to God of what he believes is a result of God, is of God. He's being cast off by God. That's not happening. Uh, the brutal attack of his enemies is being allowed, and we need to complain to God, we need to pray to God about that, but we don't complain of God about it. There's a huge difference. And David senses complain of what God is doing to him in terms of casting him off. God never casts us off. Christ never abandons us. We don't lose that salvation. We don't lose that ability to go into the presence uh, in prayer, um, we don't lose that ability to, to commune with Christ. I wrote down his chief cause of mourning is the attack on his hope in God. They say daily to me, where is thy God? I experience that. And not so much that people come up to me saying, where is your God? Um, but if you listen to conversations the the society that we live in now says that it, it says it in, in in our media it says it in the the conversation it says it in the how we um, as a society normalize behavior it says where's your god we're doing fine without your god you can do fine without your god we don't need your god around we can make laws rules and, and practices our behavior um, is just fine we can it, it, it asks us, it ridicules, where's your God? Verse 10 is the final answer to that. Because verse 10 answers again with, with faith. And it answers again, and kind of, I got a kind of a rhetorical tone when I, when I read this. Because if you notice, it's, it's, verse 11 says, excuse me, 
verse 10, yes, verse 11 says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, if you look at verse 11, it's almost identical to the verse 5, in the answer of faith in verse 5, except for one word, countenance. So verse 11, why are you in despair, O my soul? Verse 5, why are you in despair, O my soul? Next line, and why have you become disturbed within me? Verse 5, and why have you become disturbed within me? Back to verse 11, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Same thing in verse 5, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. And in the last line in verse 5, for the help of his presence. And the last line in verse 4, for the help of my countenance and my God. So faith's final answer is the same answer as before, except that it addresses David's countenance before God. They're attacking my hope in God is a complaint. What should I do? Faith answers hope in God. That's the answer to the attack on that our senses realize in terms of our walk with the Lord, our walk with Christ. How do I handle being attacked? Hope in God. With confidence, with your heart, your heart changes your countenance, and there's relief. The same way that we look at our posture before Christ, when I change my posture, when I use, when I use faith and hope to change my, my posture, the way I deliver myself, my access to Christ, my access through prayer increases. It's sufficient, and I have to assume this from uh, verse 11 as it ends, that that answer from faith was sufficient to address the mindset that David had in the onset of this, which was, I'm being oppressed, I'm separated, my God is being attacked, they're asking me, where is your God, and ridiculing me. If I were to look over to the, the New Testament, uh, I'd, we'd look out to, to Romans, in terms of our posture, and in terms of our countenance. Uh, we have Romans 5, 1 through 11 here. It reads, therefore, yeah. having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance proving character, and proving character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So faith shapes our countenance. Faith shapes our posture. Faith shapes our conversation. That changes our heart. That changes our way we pray. That changes how we present ourselves before God um, through Christ. Let's pray. The Father, as we, um, we allow your Holy Spirit uh, to work in our hearts, 
or through um, through the word that just just been read. And Lord, as you take that and um, and mold it in our hearts as you will, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.